The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We are. We're on another episode of On the Farm, and I get a reoccurring co-host. This is like the first time in so long. Andy's back. Welcome back, Andy. All right. Glad to be back. This will be fun. Andy, we have so much to talk about. Um, By the time this comes out, who knows if baseball will still even exist. (laughs) Uh, Rob Manfred is is telling everybody that it's the player's fault if the season's canceled, um, which... I don't know if you put a bad plan into place and then the bad plan doesn't work out and you point the finger at somebody else. It just kind of feels disingenuous. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's yeah. A hundred percent, man. I'm working on, I write the stash articles every week of which players you should stash. And I'm I'm trying to write it right now. And I'm like, man, I have no idea. Like, should you stash Dylan Carlson? The Cardinals aren't playing. Are the Cardinals going to, play again is anybody gonna play again yeah like it's just kind of impossible to guess it's it's a hard time to really dive into fantasy particularly in like you know this season redraft leagues which is why i'm glad that we talk about dynasty stuff yeah Uh, yeah manfred is certainly uh yeah i mean i don't think that there's a lot of people who are on the other side of this argument but it's definitely not been fun to watch the way that he's tried to handle this situation and uh, i hope that we can find a resolution that works uh, primarily that keeps everybody safe with the secondary hope being that baseball keeps happening, but I'm not sure that those two things can happen together. Unfortunately. Right. Yeah. 20% of the league being canceled on a Friday night is never what you want. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, anyway, we had a lot to talk about with, with dynasty content. I feel like there were a number of, uh, of, of performers this week, I guess you could say debuts in a sense, of, of some players that I'm interested in, you're interested in, uh, and that we can kind of go into and, and read the tea leaves on uh, what this one performance means for the next 10 years of their career. Uh, <laughs> so, so I guess we can start with, uh, with uh, the, the Toronto Buffalo Blue Jays of, uh, of Baltimore, D.C. Where do they play? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. They, they played in the Northeast area. Uh, hmm. Yeah, uh, Nate Pearson. Mm-hmm. He uh, he was he well he's been a highly regarded arm for quite some time. 
at least for the last couple of years. Um, he's uh, somebody that I feel like has anywhere you look has had glowing reviews. Um, he had uh, five innings pitched, two hits, zero runs, two walks, and five Ks. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, well, first of all, if you are a Nate Pearson owner or somebody who's interested in Nate Pearson or anything, before you go anywhere else, you need to read Nick Pollock's gift breakdown of Nate Pearson's first start in the major leagues. 3,000 words, I want to say 25 or so gifts of his pitches. Uh, it's a fantastic breakdown of what he looked like in his first game. Uh, my thoughts in general, he looked good. Uh, obviously, you know, five shutout innings in your debut is pretty darn good. I would like to see a little bit more strikeout stuff, but I'm not going to complain about that from somebody's first start. Uh, he throws hard, really hard. We saw that fastball back up in the mid-90s. His last tune-up start a scrimmage game against, I think, the Red Sox. He was like 91-92, which was a little odd. But he got up into the mid-90s. This one, his slider is going to be one of the best pitches in baseball. I really believe that. It's absolutely nasty. Uh, five innings is kind of what you'd expect from a guy in his debut. I didn't think they'd stretch him out too much more than that. Uh, I, I like I like him. I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm usually lower on pitching prospects than most. But Pearson's a guy that, while I initially had my reservations, that thinking he might become a bullpen piece, his recent performances make me feel pretty confident that he's going to be a high-end starter and a guy that I would absolutely want in Dynasty Leagues. We are, we are kindred spirits in the fact that we do not value arms uh, widely. I think uh, the one thing that obviously he's, he's somebody that everybody's uh, – he's a well-regarded prospect. And like you said, that slider is devastating, absolutely devastating. Um, and it generated quite a few whiffs on that. Uh, he was inconsistent. I didn't I, – and I have not ever really loved his delivery. Uh, it's easy at first, and then he has like this weird leg kick with his back foot at the end that kind of just throws him – it looks like it just throws him off balance. I don't know. It, it, it feels like it generates that inconsistency that we ended up seeing from him a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. It felt wild at times, like he really didn't have the control that he needed to to go you know, anywhere beyond five innings. I think that they'll keep a tight leash on him for the rest of the year because why would, why would you – you know, like keep throwing him seven, eight innings at any given time. But yeah, he's a, he's definitely a dude that um, he's probably going to continue to peak for some time. Um, he will continue to climb the mountain on value. Um, if you're, if you're shopping him around, probably just wait a while unless somebody's just going to pay you a, a fool's ransom. So uh, yeah, I, I, he was as advertised. I feel like. Yeah. Without a doubt. I'm excited about this future for sure. Okay. So let's go over to the left coast. Um, Evan White, uh, I feel like is a guy that a lot of people started picking up on and, and loving. Like he got some, he got some, uh, shine, uh, mm -hmm. this last off season. And I'm not sure if it was just because of proximity or few people really were like buying into, uh, into what he was, he was selling this last off season. I know Mikey, Ajeto was very excited about him. Um, he's, he's the one thing I love about him is that he's kind of, I guess for shorthand goofy footed, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like he, he has this like a uh, weird bat throw um, approach, which mm -hmm. I like, I think it's pretty fun, but uh, he's never really wowed me as a first baseman. And I feel like as a first base prospect, you need uh, you need a calling card, especially in the power department. Uh, 167, 259, 292 in six games, one home run. Uh, am I, am I still, am I, am I justified? Can I cut him? 
um, White's an interesting one to me because I think I really want him to succeed so that I, it's hard to look at him as objectively as perhaps that I should. Um, but he did face some tough pitching. Uh, he's certainly not a 167 hitter, obviously, that is going to come up. I think that part of the shine on White was that he – the proximity, you're absolutely right. He signed one of those guaranteed contracts, so he didn't have to go through the whole service time situation. So everybody kind of knew he was going to start the season out with the Mariners, and he did. Uh, he hit 18 home runs in A in one of the biggest pitchers' parks in all of the minor leagues in 2019. So I think there was some kind of optimism that that power was starting to show up. He does hit the ball hard. He even, even so far in the big leagues, he has hit the ball pretty hard. But I'm not – yeah, the, the threshold to be a fantasy-relevant first baseman is pretty high. You know, you look at your your C.J. Crones and your Luke Voits are kind of the, the low-end regular fantasy first baseman, and White is not there yet, I don't think. I think he's capable of being that. I'm not sure that he's capable of being much more than that. So if you own him in a dynasty league, you're probably getting a, a – low-end regular first baseman for maybe a decade. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I, if I knew that that's what I was getting out of him, if I was certain that was the path he was going to take, I'd be happy. But I think that there are some helium that has put him into the territory of, oh, he's going to be like a 30 home run, 90 RBI, you know, 280 hitter. And I, I'm just not sure that he's ever going to get there. I think he's 20, 25 home runs, especially if the baseball stays super juiced. And he'll hit for a decently high average, and he's a great glove, so he'll stay at first base, and he should play pretty regularly. He won't slide over to DH anytime soon. But, yeah, I'm not super thrilled. Certainly in redraft leagues, I think he's a guy that you can probably cut at this point. Uh, you know, I expected him to get off to kind of a slow start because a lot of rookies do. But in a 60-game season when the season could be canceled literally any day, I don't think that you're. it's worth waiting for a guy who's off to a slow start who even at his peak is probably not, you know, a guaranteed must-roster in every format type guy. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are players out there uh, who give me the same feels as he does. Ronald Guzman comes to mind uh, mm-hmm. where he's just kind of like, I mean, okay, I guess if I need a – corner infielder in a 24 team league right but like i don't know i just i can't see rostering him and and having it on on a team that's competing Mm -hmm. in anything less than 16 teams i just he's not he's not there for me so um all right well well outside of that let's let's talk about some I guess, I don't know. I think we, we diverge on this next player. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Johnson, uh, uh, outfielder for the, the Cleveland Ball, Cup, Ball Club. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel about him? Yeah, he hasn't played a whole lot so far, which kind of makes me a little bit nervous. I think we've seen Bradley Zimmer play really well for Cleveland, which has kind of cut into Johnson's potential playing time. Uh, So for this year, I'm just not sure he's going to get the reps. Obviously Zimmer is at injury risk and the Cleveland outfield is not great outside of him. It just hasn't been great for what feels like a decade or so that they just haven't had a lot of talent out there. So I think Johnson's talented. I think he could be fantasy relevant. I'm not confident it's going to happen this year. Uh, He does have some speed, which is nice. Uh, he could tap into some power. I think there's some intrigue there, but I feel like it's just a little bit early on him. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, the reason that I'm interested in him is like you said before, uh, Cleveland outfield, not, uh, not what you would call good. 
the Oscar Mercado is pretty okay by my standards. I think that he's he's above average. Uh, but then you have the Domingo Santanas of the world and uh, pass on that. But Johnson is left-handed, right? You only, Outside of Bradley Zimmer, that's it. That You don't have another left-handed uh, outfielder that's worth anything. Uh, mm-hmm. on that on that club so I'm I'm into him like I think that the speed's there and the gloves there and if he can find some playing time as speed's always something that people will chase after and if you see him starting to play a little bit more for whatever reason if there's an injury that's out there or some sort of COVID related issue mm-hmm. uh, and he can find some playing time uh, by all means I try to snatch him up um, and if you are a team that probably is not really in it this year uh, and you're looking for kind of a, a lightning in a bottle he might be one of those waiver wire pickups that you go after and you say hey i'm just gonna take a flyer on him and maybe i'll hold him for next year um like i said that that speed is the real deal and he's shown some contact ability so i i like him i like him enough to 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 take a flyer on him more so than uh than evan white i'll say that much but i don't yeah I think, yeah, I think with Johnson, the, the speed flyer is definitely a, a route I could see him taking of like, hey, I, I need steals this week or I need steals for the rest of the season and I'm just desperate. I, I lost Jonathan VR for the season or, you know, insert any player on half of the teams in the league that are not playing right now. Right. And I need stolen bases and, you know, the Indians have four games against, uh, you know, so-and-so team and they don't have a great catcher and I'm going to pick this guy up and give it a shot. I- I'm totally down with that. I think if we do see Johnson get more playing time, then he definitely will start to become a bit more mixed league relevant. I'm just not quite there yet, but a lot could change as we know. Yeah. Uh, so the next guy that we were going to talk about was uh, Yoshi Susugo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go with that. Susugo. Um, uh, Yancey, if you're listening, go ahead and turn the volume up a little bit louder. Uh, he is, uh, I'm excited. I like him a lot. Uh, he's in a great lineup. He, uh, they, there was concern about him being platooned. I feel like they're playing him a lot more than, uh, than what people expected him to be. Right. I mean, he's played, I'm looking at his game log pretty much every day since the 24th um and not only that but he's finding himself in the three four slot of the batting order um he's shown power uh he's shown some contact ability uh when he was in uh japan he showed both of those things and a very good eye a very strong walk rate um i think that uh him being a kind of that outfield dh type type uh, slot is very interesting. I mean, there are, there are players that are rostered that are out there that I feel like are, are much less interesting um, players that are probably valued a lot more. Jesse Winker comes to mind. Uh, mm-hmm. That is probably valued a lot more than a guy like uh, Yoshi Susugo. He is uh, 28. So it's not like he's old for this mm-hmm. world, but he might be just old enough to where dynasty owners don't love him. Um, I'm, I love him. I think he's great. And I, I would, uh, go ahead and snatch him up if I could. He's a very interesting, like fourth outfielder, second util type player that you can, uh, pull in and out as you see fit, um, depending on what you need for your, for your team. And he's even more valuable in those OBP OPS type leagues. Yeah. I think he, he got a little bit mislabeled coming into the season as I think a lot of those uh, players who come over from overseas are 
most of the time people expect him to be like 30 or 31. I think Shogo Akiyama's 31. I think Nori Aoki was like 30, 31 when he came over. And so Sitsugo is a little bit younger than that, which I think maybe would surprise some people. They may not know that. And I think the biggest thing that scared people away is, well, it's the race who's only going to play half the time. And that hasn't been the case. I think that's the biggest takeaway is he seems to be playing every day and he's hitting in the heart of a really good batting order. He's probably going to move down when Austin Meadows comes back. I'm also curious how, if that will impact his overall playing time, we've seen him play some third base. We've seen him play some left field. So it's not entirely out of the question that he'll keep playing pretty regularly. When Meadows gets back, he's playing well enough to merit uh, continuing to play his Batting average isn't great, but his, his BABIP is really low, and he's been hitting the ball hard, so I think that that might come up. Uh, he doesn't strike out very much. He's got some power, so he is a guy that I like. I think 12-teamers, I would definitely take a look at him. He's 14% owned in ESPN, so if that's the format you use, he's likely available in your league. Uh, again, the, the Meadows thing is the only thing that slightly concerns me, but if he's playing regularly, yeah, I'm in. I, I would like to have him and in dynasty formats. I think that age makes me think that there's four or five pretty solid years here. And in a dynasty league, it's hard to look beyond the next couple of years anyway, so he's a guy that I would be interested in. Right. Agreed. Um, you got you got one more uh, debut that we want to talk about, uh, and, and I'm not sure where I want to go with this, so I'm kind of interested to see what you have to say. Christian Javier – right-hander for the uh, Houston Astros um, is up. And I'm guessing that's part and parcel to the uh, Justin Verlander injury. Mm -hmm. Um, He he went ahead and pitched uh, 6.2 innings, uh, six and two-thirds innings, Mm -hmm. uh, three hits, one run, one walk, nine Ks. Uh, That'll do. Yes. Okay. That'll do in particular against the Dodgers, which is who he was facing. So I I think there's – there's a lot, there's more here than I thought that there was, but I'm still not as enthused as I think some people are. Again, I'll, you know, he, I'm not looking for a raise or anything, but I am going to push Nick's other gift breakdown, which was on Christian Javier. That came out the next day. Him and Pearson started at the same time, and Nick did both of the gift breakdowns. Uh, that one's fantastic as well, and it also it pours a little bit of cold water on Javier's start. There was a lot of good things. He, obviously, you know, you can't, give up three hits and walk one and strike out nine against the Dodgers without being good. But he lost a lot of gas as the game went on. He was 94, 95 in the first inning. He was down to 91 by like the fourth inning. I think he kind of strikes me a lot of that kind of multi-inning reliever that the Astros have been really, really successful at kind of developing the Brad Keep excuse me, Brad Peacock, Chris Davinsky type guy. I think that that might end up being his, his, where he ends up. He could be like a back end starter who, who throws four or five innings a game and they kind of give way to the bullpen. The Astros haven't really embraced the whole opener situation yet. I'm not sure if they will because they have enough horses in their rotation. Although obviously they're dealing with some injuries now, but that's kind of where I think Javier ends up. Obviously, we've seen, you know, Lance McCullers and Josh James and Jose Arquiti have had a lot of success in recent years in Houston. So I can understand why Javier immediately drew a lot of people's attention because of the good start, because of the team that he's on. But I'm not confident that he's going to be like a must own dynasty or redraft asset right away. But having said that, after what he just did. If he's available in your league, I think he has the Diamondbacks next, I want to say. Uh, I, I have no problem picking him up to, to throw now. I mean, he looks really good. Uh, he threw six and two-thirds, which the amount of guys in the league who have thrown over six innings in a game this year is very limited. There have been so few guys 
who even gone that deep into a game. So I'm intrigued for sure. I think his long-term path isn't probably as good as maybe this game may have made it seem, but he's, he's a guy that I think is at least worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, I do, I'm not – I don't love the fastball. I feel like it's kind of middling in a sense. But the curveball is nice. And I think that you pegged it really well, right? He is the Chris Davinsky, Brad Peacock, Colin McHugh, whomever yeah. type player, right, where he can throw three innings of very uh, really good ball. Um, mm-hmm. and, but I just uh, – I like that 11% swinging strike rate. I, I don't know. I feel like the Dodgers kind of had a game plan to be like – all right, we don't have much tape on this guy. We're just going to go out and and hack and see yeah. what we can do. Yeah. Um, and and that he was the beneficiary of that. But yeah, I mean the Diamondbacks uh, if are coming up for him. And if uh, I mean it's not they're not they're nothing to sneeze at. But mm-hmm. I feel like this might be another one of these situations where he I don't think he goes another six and two thirds. I think mm-hmm. that you probably keep him in that three to five inning range, and, and that's where he's best served. So, um, yeah. So so those are mainly the debuts that we wanted to talk about. Uh, we have some sadness because what would an on the farm podcast be without talking about some general sadness? Yeah. Um, we we briefly touched on Justin Verlander. I just before we uh, jump to some of these other guys, Justin Verlander. Um, mm-hmm. The news doesn't feel good. Uh, I mean, he said he's out for a few weeks. That's pretty much half the season, um, if, if anything, because he's going to have to ramp back up. Um, I mean, he's, he's not old for this world, but he's old for baseball. Uh, and and uh, all of our heroes eventually become villains at some point. So uh, are we, what are you doing with him if you have him on your team? Yeah, um, I mean, 36, I want to say, is what he is. And I would be fairly surprised if the Astros give him much of a chance to come back this year. I, I Just because of how long it would take him to ramp back up. You know, you're looking at him maybe coming back for the last week of the season for a guy at his age. I mean, obviously the Astros, you know, assuming we get to this point in the season, the Astros will likely be – in a playoff picture or very close to a playoff picture, if they're still competing and they really want them to come out and throw in the last week of the season, I could kind of see it. But if they're in it locked in a playoff spot, I think they just rest him for the rest of the year, maybe bring him back for the playoffs. So in redraft leagues, I'm not dropping yet because I want to see if there's any update that comes out. If you absolutely need a spot and it's a shallow league, I guess I could see it. But in dynasty formats, I mean, you, you got to hold because of how good he is, but you know, your, your window to try to sell him off if you were hoping to, to start a rebuild has pretty much gone. I don't think anybody's going to give you close to value for him right now because he's old and he's hurt. And Verlander has been extraordinarily, healthy throughout his career. It's been one of the more kind of underrated, remarkable things that has happened over the last 10 years is how healthy Justin Verlander has stayed. And he had one bad year. I think it was 2017. He was just flat bad or maybe 2016. And then he, everybody kind of thought, okay, put a fork in him. He's done. He's 33 and he's bad now. And he came back and has been really good for the last couple of years. So I think there's a lot of people who think, oh, maybe that'll happen again. I think that'd be awesome if Verlander was all of a sudden dominant until he was 40, but I'm I'm less confident that he has a second one of those in him and his performance hasn't waned, but the injury makes me a little bit nervous that we've, I mean, I think we've definitely seen the best of Justin Verlander and I am a little bit less optimistic that his decline will be as kind of slow and graceful as we originally thought. I think it might be a little bit sharper because of this and because of missing potentially this entire season might, might hurt him more than we would like. 
All right. So I have a pen and I'm just going to write this down right now. Mm -hmm. Forrest Whitley will be called up due to Justin Verlander's injury. Is that okay to put, I wrote it. It's in ink. So I, the Astros have to follow through on this. I, the one that makes me nervous is just with Arkady coming back. I just I because Javier took Verlander's first spot, but I, I agree that I don't think Javier is necessarily a full time starter going forward. Obviously, if he comes out and strikes out double digits against the Diamondbacks, he'll probably keep getting chances. But then when Arkady comes back, then you start to look like you have more or less a full rotation with McCullers and James and Granky. Uh, I think he'll come back eventually. I, I I struggle with where to put Forrest Whitley every week that I do my pitching stash rankings because Whitley really does need more development time. He, his stuff, his arsenal, his talent is major league ready. I don't think there's anybody who would debate that. If you've watched one inning of video on him, you know that he's ready to pitch in the major leagues. But he had a – I mean, his ERA was like 12 last year in AAA. He, he was just flat awful last year at, at every stop that he was at maybe it was mechanical maybe it was mental I think it was a combination of both I think that he could pitch in the major leagues this year and be good and be ready to go but I could see the Astros being a little bit hesitant because of what he looked like last year my money would be on him pitching in the major leagues in 2020 but I'm not confident that it happens even in the next month where where is Jose Urquidy where art thou uh, yeah, he's, he's been on the COVID IL for a while. The last report that I saw said that he was like, he, he is back at the site and he's been working out, but they're, they've been really mum about that whole thing. So I don't know exactly when he's coming back. So yeah. that does, that does kind of further complicate things with, with Javier, with Whitley kind of up in the air. Right. And I mean, even if uh, you could, you could just kind of smash two pitchers together, right? You can do Christian Javier and Jose Urquidy and have them throw three to three and a half innings each yes. and have a really good starter, right? Yep. Like I, I just, I, yeah, I don't see Forrest Whitley coming up anytime soon. And it's weird uh, because everybody loves him, but then, you know, it's just, I don't know what's going on there. So uh, real quick, before we get to the, to the next thing, remember Corbin Martin? yes yeah that was another guy i was trying to remember call his name back a little bit and i was like who is that other guy that was random starter that everybody loved for like a week and then he was traded to the diamondbacks for zach greinke yeah the, the astros are interesting because they they have this reputation of developing really good pitching and they 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 kind of develop really good pitching in the sense of guys who kind of come out of nowhere like Rakiti, like Josh James. They weren't super highly touted prospects. Even Javier, this start kind of fits into that mold. But like Corbin Martin was a really highly touted prospect. JP Bukowskis was a highly touted prospect. He's also with the Diamondbacks and he struggled last year. Uh, Cyanel Perez was a fairly highly touted prospect. He's been awful so far in the major leagues. So they've had their hits and misses. I think obviously at any team kind of does, but uh, Whitley is an interesting case because he's like what, you know, the highest, the highest touted out of any of those guys and how he does, I think will kind of determine a lot of the Astros skill set. but it seems like they're good at developing those multi-inning four or five inning type guys as opposed to like full length starters. So we'll kind of have to see what that means for Whitley. Yeah. I'm just going to give my plug right now. This is my personal plug free Rogelio Armenteros. Just free him, <laughs> get him yeah. out there, let him pitch, please. I love him so much. Um, okay, so uh, so just a little bit uh, sadder. Uh, we'll go into this. Mike Fultonevich. Mm -hmm. What? 
<laughs> like what? What happened? Yeah, that's been really weird. I, I mean, he obviously, he was so, so good in 2018. I think he was top 10 in Cy Young voting, had huge strikeout numbers, really, really excellent season, was pumping 96, 97 mile an hour gas, even higher than that. I think he was 98, 99 at points. And then it just, it really fell apart. I mean, he didn't look very good last year. And then this year he had that one start, looked really bad. The Braves DFA'd him immediately afterwards, which was very surprising. Uh, there was some potential other stuff going on. I don't like to speculate on this stuff because I don't know the truth. And so I'm not going to say anything definitively, but he certainly looked uh, a little gaunt, I guess is the best word to Great use. Great word. Yeah, he, he looked, uh, he was a lot skinnier, thinner, kind of, I don't know, he didn't look like himself. And so there's been some concern of, of what that could potentially mean. And there's a variety of things that could be in it could be nothing but the Braves certainly thought something was going on he also was like barely and even in the 90s in that start velocity wise which I think was perhaps the biggest concerning factor is his velocity has gone he physically looks different he hasn't been the same pitcher since 2018 and then I think the biggest tell that that this is not just something that the, the Braves didn't just make some careless mistake DFAing him is that no team picked him up every other team had a chance to add this guy to their alternate site and just see what they have in them. And nobody was willing to do it. Not the Tigers, not the Mariners, you know, not the Orioles, these teams that are, that are kind of pitching starved who could have taken a reclamation project. They weren't willing to do it. And so I think that there's something potentially going on here. I hope that whatever it is gets resolved and he comes back to throwing cheese and is back on the, on the mound soon. But obviously if you own him in any leagues, uh, certainly redraft leagues, you're done uh, dynasty leagues, it, it would be tough to, to hold on to him at this point just because we really don't know what's going on. And even, you know, the odds of 2018 coming back are, are, are pretty slim. Yeah. I feel like the weird thing, um, you know, it was just the way that the players approached Fultonavich's DFA, like the fact that they were pretty bum on it gives me, it just, it's yeah. weird. It's, it gives me weird vibes, but yeah. like just from the let's, I don't, again, I don't want to go into that and speculate on what it could and couldn't be, but the, the outgrowth of that or the upshot of that is, is um, a bad Braves rotation gets worse. So yeah. we have, uh, we have Mike Soroka who looks good, like yeah. an ace, Max Freed who looks amazing this week uh just i mean his curveball's sick uh and then we have uh sean newcomb who was demoted and is kind of a reclamation project at this point yeah cole hamels injured old bad uh mm -hmm. felix hernandez injured old bad um and uh and now fulty's gone so we have a bunch of like i, I don't know maybe in in anderson tukey uh, Bryce Wilson. Um, I mean, Kyle Wright is out there in the world wandering. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, what are you, what are your thoughts on, on these, uh, supposedly good pitchers that haven't really been very good? Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting. The Braves have, have collected a big group of, of close to the big league starting pitching prospects and they've hit on not very many of them. Obviously Soroka is a counterexample, and Fulte was, was good for one season, but you know, Kyle Wright has not looked good in the big leagues. Uh, Tukey has not really looked good in the big leagues. They've been using him as a reliever and he's okay there. So he's going to be the first one to get a shot. Uh, and I love his breaking ball so much. I think he's got an elite breaking ball, but the command concerns me. Uh, the fastball is 
fine, but it's not great. I'm not sure that I, I liked the decision to put him in the bullpen because I think that that's where he belongs in terms of just what his skill set is best at. So I'm not very optimistic that him moving into the starting rotation is going to go exceptionally well. Uh, of the starting pitchers prospects that they have that we haven't that they haven't uh, brought up to the big leagues yet, uh, Ian Anderson is definitely the one I'm the most interested in. He's still kind of boring. <laughs> like, like the the most exciting pitching prospects are your Nate Pearsons and your Forrest Whitleys and your Jesus Lazardos who throw absolute cheese. But sometimes you you get down into like the 12 to 15 pitcher range and they're just really boring arms. They're guys who, Oh, you have four good pitches and you have good command. So you're probably going to be good, but you're maybe not going to be like a huge fantasy asset. And that's kind of where I think Anderson maybe falls. Uh, Wilson has, is kind of interesting as well, although I'm less, he strikes me as more of like a, a number five long relief type guy. Kyle Muller, vaguely interesting as well. Uh, lefty, big hammer, breaking ball, but again, maybe more of a bullpen piece. I think Atlanta is kind of taking a, uh, we're going to do a quantity. We're going to collect a lot of them and see if we can get some breakouts. And they, they have. They had had a couple of them, but I'm not sure what of the group they have now is necessarily going to pan out. Anderson's the one that I would want out of this group in a dynasty league, but I think he's kind of boring. Yeah. I mean, it, I feel like they need to go back to that Houston approach and just start telling their players, look, blow it out for two innings, have a great time, yep. and then we'll get the other one in there to do the same thing for two innings and blow it out and have a good time. Absolutely. And, and that, that would be the way to go. I think I love Tukey just as much as you do. That that breaking ball is, is silly, silly yep. good, um, but he's erratic. Uh, is, is I feel like the, the best word to describe Tukey. Um, because I mean, that, that walk rate is abysmal. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that you did an excellent job breaking all that down. I just don't know where they're going to go with it. And it feels like, um, just given the environment that we're in and how, uh, tenuous the season is and in the grasp on, uh, control that, uh, it seems to not be be had by the major leagues at right now i just don't see the braves going out there and giving up assets for a pitcher no and so they're kind of just left with what they got and they better hope that cole hamels comes back sometime soon yeah i think they're banking on hamels coming back that's why i kind of think tukey is like i i I hope they kind of do what you said and they throw tukey for three innings and say "Hey, hey man let loose like bring the heat for three innings and then we're just going to go bullpen game after that. I'd love to see them mix like Tukey and Kyle Muller together would be an awesome mix. I think that would be really fun Mm -hmm. if they would do that on the regular, just because of how different those guys are and they both have really great breaking balls. But I think they're just kind of going to rely on Tukey until they get back to Hamels. So I'm not as confident about Anderson or Wilson even getting much of a shot this year, but I could see it. I think it'll happen eventually, but I think that they're also still, like I said, kind of boring. So We'll kind of have to see what ends up happening with that. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm not going to be able to get through this without crying. Uh, when I first started writing uh, about baseball, I wrote Corey Kluber a love letter, um, <laughs> and uh, and it hurts. It hurts to see him fall apart like this. Um, and I just uh, it's sad. It's all yeah. sad. Yeah, one inning, one inning with the Rangers. That was all that we got. Uh, it's hard to hard to know how serious this injury is. Uh, I, I don't know that there's been much of an update other than he's going to be out for a while. 
Uh, again, another situation where it just seems really silly for any team to rush pitchers back this year at all. So I would be very surprised to see either Kluber or Verlander in the regular season. Again, playoffs may be a whole different story. Maybe they'll sell out for that. So, yeah, I mean, Kluber's a, a guy in, in dynasty leagues that I think you're still holding on to because we he did look promising in the spring, and I think that there is some – uh, there's still some left in the tank, but if this, you know, if this injury turns out to be a lot worse and he's going to miss all of next year or something like that, then, you know, you're starting to look at a guy who doesn't come back until he's 36. And yeah, that's why this is the sadness category that, uh, that is right. upsetting. Hopefully it, it isn't the case. Speaking of sadness too, the, the pitcher replacing Corey Kluber in the rotation is Colby Allard, which is, <laughs> Um, I, uh, I, like I said, I do the stash article. So every time a pitcher gets hurt, I kind of immediately look at oh, which prospect could replace him. And in Texas, there's virtually none. Their pitching prospects are just not good. I mean, Joe Palumbo was the closest and I was like, no, I don't think that he's going to come up or should come up this year. And then they announced that it was going to be Allard, who's technically not a prospect anymore. I think he's thrown like 53 major league innings and he's struck out virtually nobody and walked a lot of people and is just not very interesting. So if you're thinking about picking him up, I would uh, advise against it. I just don't think that there's much there outside of maybe a future as a long reliever. Yeah. I mean, well, to be fair to the Rangers, right? Cole Wynn is out there and he's pretty good. So, yeah, but he's, he's a, he's a couple of years away. Like I don't see yeah, him coming Hans anytime soon. Good too. But Hans Kraus is, I don't even think he's on their alternate side. I don't think he's on their 60 man. So they're not ready for him yet either. There, there is, it's a, it's a barren barrel. Uh, Corey Kluber was diagnosed with a grade two uh, tear in his muscle, uh, in his shoulder. The same one that Jose Leclerc uh, had. He got a PRP ejection and he'll be evaluated in about four weeks, uh, yeah. which means that they will look at the shoulder and say, you are still injured and yep. uh, stay home. Uh, yep. So that maybe next year, Corey. Yep. Um, I don't know where you want to go with this because I'm feeling kind of bummed. Uh, Marlins or Kopech? Yeah, I mean, I guess we can start with the Marlins because now it's the Marlins and the Cardinals and the every other team, really. I mean, the Marlins seem to be the instigators here. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like, I mean, we can talk about the – uh, the issues of, of leadership for an entire hour if we wanted to, but effectively nobody told the Marlins or the MLB how to handle situations where you have multiple players who are sick apparently. And so the Marlins opted to continue playing. And as you would expect from a highly contagious uh, disease that everybody got sick. And I think they're up to 18, 17, 18 confirmed cases on their team. Uh, some egregious number. Uh, I, we don't know the, the, which players it is and if any of them are, are showing symptoms or anything like that, but uh, it's clearly a, a outbreak of sorts. And it, uh, and it seems it may have spread to other teams or they may have had their own outbreaks on those teams as well. But for now, it's really kind of mucking up the season. Uh, it's unclear if the Marlins are going to be able to finish all of the games that they want to play. Uh, I have no idea how to value their prospects from a dynasty perspective at this point. I'm not doing anything. Uh, I think the only player worth holding on to in a redraft league that's on the Miami Marlins is uh, Jonathan VR because he could get you enough steals down the stretch to be relevant if they come back. But in dynasty leagues, you're kind of just stuck. I mean, unless it's somebody who's really fringy on your roster anyway, you can probably move from them. But I don't know what this does to the potential debut timeline for Sixto Sanchez, for Monty Harrison, for Jazz Chisholm, for JJ Bleday. 
Edward Cabrera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it, it, it's a pretty messy situation, hopefully one that uh, won't result in anybody having any long, long-term health issues and also will allow them to get back on the field eventually. But again, uh, that may not be the, the best choice. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if you like, let's just let's just be honest. I think we have to be honest with with our listeners. Um, if you invested in the Marlins, that's your fault. Like this yeah. is on you. Yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> you shouldn't have invested more than like I don't think there's any players in the on the Marlins who were more than late round picks anyway. The only ones I can think that you might have picked uh, Brian Anderson, who's droppable. Brandon Kinsler is definitely droppable. I like Caleb Smith, but uh, and Sandy Alcantara. But, you know, I mean, they're, yeah, you, you can yeah. get rid of pretty much everybody at this point. It's yeah. not going to be a huge loss to your team. VR would suck, but otherwise you can deal with it. Yeah. Um, so the last, uh, the last general sadness that we'll get into is uh, Michael Kopak uh, clearly had uh, marital issues, opted out for the season. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um, sucks for him. Hope he, hope he gets better because obviously he's dealt with things in the past uh, that have kept him out of, uh, you know, realizing his full potential. Um, he seems like a generally good guy uh, from all of the interviews that I have heard. Um, and he seems like a, a, a well-respected or well-liked guy in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's out for this year. Um, and this is after a season which was lost to uh, Tommy John. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had written down, open the door for Dane Dunning. <laughs> you, do you believe that, that that's the first place that they go is Dane Dunning? Uh, well, it wasn't the first place they went immediately because they went to Carlos Rodon first and he has been <laughs> bad. Yep. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, honestly, if Dunning's next. I'm really not. I just am intrigued by him. He's missed, obviously, so much time with injury, but his, his time on the mound has been successful. He's looked very good. I think he looked pretty good in spring training. I remember I watched a couple innings of one of his starts and was pleasantly surprised by how good he looked in that outing. So that's kind of the reason I, I tagged him on there. I think he's worth talking about because he's not – getting a ton of attention. He's kind of been forgotten about by a lot of prospects people. And I think he's, he's a guy worth paying attention to, but again, I'm not that certain that the white Sox would go to him right away. It kind of depends on how healthy they feel that he is, how stretched out his arm is all of that stuff. But if they feel like he's ready and Carlos Rodon continues to pitch like he has, he could, he could be the next guy. It wouldn't be shocking. I, I mean, Gio Gonzalez is, is in the bullpen. Is that correct? Is that where they yep. have him? Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, yeah, he's a fifth starter kind of. Okay. Cause I remember he was sort of in the bullpen, but I, I wasn't. Yeah. So he would definitely take over a regular rotation spot if he doesn't have one currently, probably before Dunning, but I could, I could see Dunning getting a shot. It probably wouldn't be till like September, but I think he's worth, if he stays healthy and he looks good, he's definitely worth giving a chance to. Yeah, there's another name that's out there that people really haven't uh, given a lot of uh, love to uh, with regards to the uh, White Sox prospects go, um, and that's Jonathan Stever. Uh, mm-hmm. I like him quite a bit. I think that he's going to be one of those you know plug and play, you know fourth starter type arms, um, but he hasn't pitched above high A. So uh, Dane Dunning has a half a step on him at the moment, right. um, but still, I mean he he produced. And in a uh, very respectable way, uh, a couple months ago, or I'm sorry, last year uh, at high A. So, so just keep an eye out there for him. I think that uh, that's an interesting name to to have. And then obviously they have Ross Detweiler hanging out in Schaumburg too. So 
they might go to him because he's healthy um, and he's uh, worthwhile. Um, but yeah, St- Stever, Stiver, I don't remember how to say his last name exactly, but um, the fastball's pretty middling, the slider's pretty middling, the curveball's plus. Um, he's got uh, a show me change. He's, he's interesting enough. Um, if you're thinking about, well, what would I roster him in as far as the dynasty league goes, I would say probably nothing more than like a 16 team, uh, option for, uh, and then maybe a wafer wire pickup depending on the matchup. Um, but I mean, to be honest with you, just speaking as a white Sox fan, the season has not gone well thus far. Uh, and so, um, you know, they might get to a point in the season where they're just like, let's just see what some of these guys got. Yeah, throw them out there and let them let them pitch uh, a game against the Tigers and, and see whatever happens there. Um, all right, so so let's move on. Let's move on to um, this is this is a uh, segment that I like to call "What are you doing?" <laughs> all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna ask a question and then you can answer it. Okay. Yep. Andy, you are the uh, you are Dusty Baker. <laughs> and uh whoever who's the gm is it aj hinch it's not aj hinch what's no. his name it was, was lunau but you're yeah lunau but whatever not really okay um kyle tucker what are you doing yeah um it's been nice to see him hit eighth i guess a few times but they yeah i i don't know i mean he to be fair I, I, this isn't a good enough excuse but he's not hitting exceptionally well uh he was hitting sub 200 at least at the time of the recording he had strikeout rate over 40 percent but i think that that's it's kind of a chicken egg situation i think he's not hitting well because he's not getting into a rhythm because they're not playing him and they're not playing him because he's not hitting. It's kind of just like a, a messy situation that is ultimately the, the Astros need to have enough faith in his ability to just play him. You know, he, he's better than Josh Reddick with Jordan Alvarez out. There's openings. Uh, Lednis Diaz is out right now. They started Taylor Jones for one game, which Taylor Jones is a Gonzaga graduate with my alma mater a very nice human being, but he was a 19th round pick four years ago and is probably not somebody who should be starting at designated hitter in the major leagues right now. And so it just, and Abraham Toro is good, but he's not as good as Kyle Tucker. They're just not finding enough of a, they need to give him a rhythm, play him for a week straight, see what happens. If he hits 200 for an entire week, maybe you give him an off day, but you're just not giving him enough of a chance right now. The dude has the potential in a full season to hit 30 home runs and steal 30 bases. There aren't a lot of people who have that potential on planet earth and you are not playing him on a team that has world series aspirations and has openings with some of their guys who are hurt. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty uh, flummoxing. If you're asking me what I would do as the general manager at this point, maybe trade him. Like if you're just not going to play him, you know, Detroit could use an outfielder. They have a pitcher named Matthew Boyd. He might fit what you're looking for right there. This has been a, a trade that's been thrown around for over a year now. I don't know how seriously either side would consider it, but as a Tigers fan, I would like it. I like Matthew Boyd a lot. I think he would benefit a lot from being in Houston, and I think Kyle Tucker would be awesome in Detroit. But, yeah, at this point, there's no reason to just keep not playing a guy who's as good as him uh, for a team that wants to win. Agreed, and and it's it's perplexing to me because they were even messing with him at the beginning of the season. Like, mm-hmm. if it's me, I'm putting him in. Like, he's playing. He's he's part of my everyday 
roster. And mm-hmm. if you look at, I mean, granted, small sample size last year of 72 plate appearances, but he had a 122 WRC plus a 349 W uh, weighted on base, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was really good last year. I mean, even if you wanted to go with DRC plus, which is a metric that is used uh, generally by baseball prospectus, I mean, mm-hmm. he was 87, which is slightly below, but it's mm-hmm. still not terrible. And he's young and he is, was supposed to be one of your cornerstones moving ahead. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're just like, look, this is going to be another red shirt year for you. Um, and we're going to wait till George Springer goes to free agency and then you're going to be the guy or, or what it is. Like, I don't get it, but I just, what are you doing? What are you doing Astros? I don't get it. Okay. Um, next one. Ready? Uh, um, nationals Carter Keyboom. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Especially, I mean, the excuse with, with Tucker, which is admittedly flimsy is that he hasn't hit well to start the season. Keyboom's only played in three games, but he's hitting 444. So he's obviously off to a hot start. He doesn't have any home runs. I'm not, does he even have any extra base hits? Uh, he does not have any extra base hits, but he's hitting 444. <laughs> like, he's clearly ready to be at the major league level. He did not hit well last year. He hit 128 uh, with a 37% strikeout rate. Which 43 was, plate appearances. Yes, 40, yes, important yeah. to know. 43 plate appearances. Uh, so... The, I think their issue is that Estrubal Cabrera is playing pretty well, but Estrubal Cabrera strikes me as somebody who should be a super utility player. Keyboom should be getting the majority of the at-bats. Cabrera should be rotating between second, third, designated hitter. That's kind of what they're doing with Howie Kendrick, too. They just have too many guys who kind of fit that weird mold where they can kind of bounce them around a little bit, and Keyboom is, for some reason, the odd man out, even though he's – clearly ready to be in the major leagues. He's younger. You're hurting his development by keeping him on the bench. Uh, I don't know if this is some way that they feel like they need to appease Kendrick for his world series heroics or Cabrera is, you know, somebody they, they maybe they think they can trade him. That seems unlikely in this short of a season, but yeah, it's, it's unnecessary to, stunt Keyboom's development this way. I worry that when Soto comes back, I know that they don't play the same position, but it's just going to make there be less time at designated hitter, which is where Kendrick and Cabrera have been playing a fair amount. So that could just further push Keyboom farther down the bench. And it's just a bummer. I I picked him up in a lot of leagues to start the season. I have him in TGFBI. I had him in one of my Yahoo leagues. I think I dropped him because he just wasn't playing enough. And it's, yeah, it's been unfortunate because I think as a dynasty asset, he's still fantastic. But right now he's probably just bleeding a spot on your bench. And that's really unfortunate. Yeah. And I mean, I, the only reason he's really gotten any playing time is because Howie Kendrick hurt his back. Right. So that's the only reason why he's been playing. If Howie Kendrick did not hurt his back, we would probably be pulling our hair out or well, (laughs) for you metaphorical hair. Yeah, <laughs> metaphorical hair yeah but i mean it's just like i i bothers me um i know that there are a lot of prospectors out there that are very frustrated about the whole thing um mm-hmm. again i don't know maybe it's just the the team model they they feel like they need to the 60 games they're not going to take a gamble with uh with a young guy um going into a slump and trying to work through it um and messing with his long-term development but i feel like you're you're um it's six and one half a dozen in the other essentially by yo-yoing him and not playing him at all. So I I don't know. So, okay. Uh, Yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say, that's an interesting point because I wonder if there are teams that think that, that playing a guy in the major leagues when they're like 
potentially struggling is harder on their development than just storing them on the bench. I would think just not playing would be harder on your development. Like for Kiboom, the best thing for his development is to play regularly in the major leagues. If you're not going to do that, the second best thing would be to play regularly in AAA. That's not an option this year. So you could send him to the alternate side and get him a bunch of at-bats that way. Or you can just store him on the bench where he just doesn't play baseball at all. And that just doesn't feel like an option that's helping him. I don't understand. Like I get that, you know, if you, if he struck out in 50% of his at-bats for two straight weeks, yeah. Okay. You're probably, you're probably hurting his development at that point, but you got to give him a shot. And same with Tucker. If, if you're just going to put them on the bench without giving them an opportunity to play, you are not there. There's no way in my mind that that helps them developmentally. I, I just, I don't see how that is beneficial. Yes. And then perhaps the, uh, the most uh, fraught one of the bunch. Um, <laughs> you're, you're Rocky Mountain high here. Rocky Mountain side. Yep. Rocky Mountain side. Um, Garrett Hampson, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't think we can do a uh, what are you doing segment ever without having to talk <laughs> to somebody on the Colorado Rockies. I, I think it will just be permanent. I couldn't believe, like I knew that Hampson wasn't playing much. I don't have any shares of him, so I didn't realize how – egregious it was that he's only played in two games this season uh and yeah again similar thing he didn't hit all that great last year but that is not an excuse for him to be playing this little on a Rockies team that isn't very good I don't know if they're like trying to go for it with I guess signing Matt Kemp was that a sign that they're trying to win I don't know exactly what the Rockies are doing I don't think that they're built to be a successful team right now but I think that they have a good young core they just aren't playing them they should be giving Rodgers a chance. They should be giving Hampson more than anybody a chance. He's 25 now, and he's never really gotten an opportunity to show what he can do in the major leagues. I'm not quite as high on him as maybe, like, we'll say Eric Cross, for example, who mm-hmm. is a fantastic dynasty writer at Fantrax. If you do not follow him, you should. But he's really, really high on Hampson, and I can understand the appeal of Hampson, but you know, he's going to be a stolen base guy. He's going to hit for a high average. I think the hit tool is pretty good, but we just haven't seen it yet. And it's not his fault as much as it's the Rockies fault. And now it's a guy being 25 at this point. It's like how, you know, I mean, he just hasn't, hasn't got, gotten that chance and it's a real bummer. Yes, indeed. Indeed. A quite a bummer. Okay. So, <laughs> so we're going to shift from sadness and being bummed out uh, into maybe some hope. Uh, light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to talk about some upcoming debuts, 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 and then uh, you know, you you pick a couple guys. I'll pick a couple guys, uh, and we'll go from there. Um, all right. So here's here you get to pick on the list. Um, I'll let you go first. We're going to do a, a draft, a debut draft. All right. On this, this will be fun. Um, I'll pick the one that's probably the saddest to start out with because we're still kind of in the middle of our transition. Uh, and that would be Spencer Howard, who is not the saddest in terms of talent. He's extraordinary, and I'm really, really excited about him. But I don't really know when he's going to pitch next. So I'm kind of a little bit nervous about that. But Howard is elite. I think that his his fastball is elite. We've seen a, a great breaking ball and a great changeup. Uh, when he comes up and starts pitching, I think that that four-pitch mix is going to play really well. The command is, is really good. He's a guy that I'm really excited about. Okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and talk about a guy that I'm not excited about, and then you can tell me why I should be excited. Um, you have uh, Chris Bubik. Bubik? Mm-hmm. Bub- I don't know. Bubik? I don't even care to know. I fell asleep <laughs> saying his name. Is a Royals pitcher. 
All right, let me just let me just run this by you really quick, okay? He's currently pitching as we speak. Four innings pitched, three hits, two earned runs, uh, and and a walk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you how he gave up those two earned runs. He gave up mm-hmm. a a uh, wait. Hang on, let me pull it up. It is a three hundred and seventy one foot bomb to Adam Angle. Adam Angle could barely hold a bat in his hand. So <laughs> I'm just going to say this really quick. Like Adam Angle has hit 18 home runs in a thousand plate appearances, over a thousand plate appearances. He's uh, got an, a career ISO of 117. So you tell me why I should be interested in Chris Bubik. Yeah. So I was, I, Tried to convince you on Brady Singer a little bit. I'm going to be more on your side on Bubik here. Uh, I think he's just kind of boring. Again, I I don't think that he's going to be a bad major league pitcher. I think the stuff is okay, but we're talking about a guy with a 45-grade fastball who relies on deception more than velocity and who has not pitched above high A. So it's not that hard as a college advanced college pitcher to deceive single A and high A hitters. That's what he's done. His strikeout numbers in in the minor leagues have been very good. But I'm not confident that making the jump from high A to the major leagues when you rely on command and deception and kind of pitching backwards more than you rely on your actual stuff, I'm not confident that's a recipe for success. Adam Engel taking him yard is kind of an example of that. I think from a dynasty perspective, Bubik is a guy who could settle in as like a four, five, maybe three if he if he finds a little bit more velocity or finds some more movement on his fastball. But he's more of a real-life, a good real-life pitcher, like an innings-eater type guy, than he is a fantasy asset. I think even in his peak, he's going to be a guy that, you know, on maybe cracks the top 100 on Nick's list occasionally at the very end. But he just doesn't strike me as a uh, – a dominant can't miss prospect again like we've talked about the the top 100 prospects lists a lot of the last pitchers who show up on that list are are kind of your more boring like high floor good chance to be an innings eater type guys as opposed to like legit potential aces and Bubik's a guy who I think is high baseball IQ okay stuff and a good like ability to to pitch he's got good pitch ability but other than that i think he's pretty boring so i'm not super thrilled about him either we'll see more trevor hooth is doing a gift breakdown on him as we speak that will hopefully be up tomorrow so you get to see a little bit more of his thoughts and some gifts of what his first outing looked like he would be the fifth best pitcher on the atlanta braves <laughs> probably he'd fit right, <laughs> right in with that group right now yes I mean, if we if you want to do a quick aside about Brady Singer, I don't know how you feel about him. He got smoked by your Tigers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, he didn't. He he didn't look great. I, I think he's he's he got a higher ceiling than Bubik. I'll, I, I'll tell you that confidently. But again, he's he's not. Uh, I, I'm I'm not as much of a hater of the Royals pitching prospects as you are. But I can tell you that I'm in an AL only dynasty and I don't have any of their arms, so they're not my favorites right now either. I do like Daniel Lynch. If we were uh, we don't have to do it now, but if we wanted to fight about Daniel Lynch, I think we would have different opinions there. But I'm not super thrilled about Singer. I'm not super thrilled about Buvik. And Kowar is another – he's okay, but he's not great. Okay. So so I will go – I will um, – we're uh, – man, I have to pick because it's a snake. Can we do three? I'm going to – we're going to do three. 
Okay, okay. so I'm going to do, I'm going to pick my next one and mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and talk about uh, uh, Nick Madrigal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing tonight. He's made his debut. He's over two. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody can go ahead and say how he's uh, not very good and take your victory <laughs> lap. Um, but here's the truth of the matter. The dude puts the bat on the ball. He always has. He always will. He will, he will rarely ever strike out. Um, and he's just – he's got some speed that I would go ahead and pick up where I could. Second base is not always uh, as uh, sexy as you want it to be. Um, and so I think that he, uh, long-term probably like a top 14, um, yeah, I would say, I would say a top 14, uh, second baseman, uh, from here until eternity, uh, or until he retires. So, I mean, I don't know. He's not, he is, he is, uh, not going to hit the ball out of the park, even with this rabbit ball. I just don't see it happening. Um, but he's definitely a guy that I don't know why you would not be interested in him, given the uh, the the amazing uh, stat line that he has as far as walk to uh, strikeout ratio or even uh, BABIP, because um, he's always going to be one of those high BABIP guys. Now his limitation will and always be the fact that he will likely bat in the bottom third of the lineup. So you can't be super excited about that. Um, but on the whole, uh, he's just a dude. I'm glad to see him up. I'm glad the White Sox are not um, really uh, shying away from the fact of calling up some of their guys uh, to see what they can do because they need it. Uh, their offense has been anemic at best. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my thing. Uh, you wrote about him in the, in the stash. Mm-hmm. And what, what did you say? You were yeah, like, I- get up, scoop him up everywhere. <laughs> um. I think that he's a better real life player than a fantasy asset, but that doesn't mean that he shouldn't be picked up in at least some fantasy leagues. I guess for me, the question is, is he David Fletcher or is he Whit Merrifield? You know, like where does he kind of fall in that range? And I'm, I'm more confident that he'll be like Fletcher where he'll have a high average. He'll score runs. He'll be a faster David Fletcher. Cause I think that that's key because David Fletcher doesn't steal a lot of bases. So, and he's rosterable primarily because of his positional flexibility, but Madrigal's rosterable because he could steal 20 bases in a full season. So I hate that he's hitting at the bottom of the order. I get it. But if he was hitting at the top of the order with like Robert and Abreu and Encarnacion and Eloy Jimenez and a healthy Nomar Mazzara all hitting behind him, that would give me a lot more, optimism about him particularly this season but i think he's worth a look in 12 teamers i'm confident i think top 14 second baseman is totally within his range um, i'd like to see more power show up i just don't think that it's going to so you're he's kind of a guy you draft or you target for batting average stability and some stolen bases knowing that you're going to need to get some power elsewhere but i do like him I, i've always liked him i watched him at oregon state when he was you know a college freshman i remember that was the first time i saw on play he's he's always been somebody that i've been really interested in but i think that the helium around him as a prospect is a little you know, over overextended yeah a i mean overhyped. yeah he, the the best things about him are not necessarily things that show up in the fantasy scoring and so he's he's just a better real life prospect than a fantasy asset but i think it's defensible to pick him up in 10 teamers i think it's definitely he should be picked up in 12 teamers i think he's owned in all of the leagues that i'm in and i think that that's totally fine uh shallower leagues i think that if you're dropping like very legitimate players to pick him up you're probably going to regret it especially if he's going to hit ninth for the rest of the year but like in dynasty 
hell yeah, you're, you're happy you have him. You're ready for him to come up now because he's going to be a guy who's going to help your batting average, I think, immediately. And depending how much the White Sox run, he'll, he'll be a stolen base asset as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a little, um, I'm a little offended. I feel like you're, Nick Madrigal is to batters as Brady Singer is to pitchers. Like, I feel <laughs> like that's where you're going with it. And, and that, I mean, fine, fine if that's what we're, what we're going to do. Hey, that's that's fine. I mean, I'd, I'd rather have Madrigal over Singer. I can tell you that pretty confidently. Well, yeah, I wrote. You know, I wrote uh, that the White Sox top, you know, like whatever the the hitter analysis during the off season, um, and mm-hmm. I said, you know, over 530 plate appearances spanning across three levels, Madrigal struck out 16 times. That's it. He is the omega to William Williams Astudio's alpha. So if you like Astudio and you like the fact that he can those type that's kind of the elite bat to ball skills that you're getting on a magical, but it's just mm-hmm. you're not getting triples. You're getting a, you're getting doubles and singles a lot of the time. So all right, there's there's uh, my Nick Magical moment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Andy, you get to pick. All right. Uh, I am going to go with Dalton Varsho, who got called up. I was kind of surprised by this. He got called up at the expense of Kevin Crone, which was a little bit odd. The Diamondbacks have historically carried three catchers, uh, so it's not as surprising to see them do that with Carson Kelly and Steven Vogt and now Varsho. Obviously, I think the appeal of our show is that he is a catcher who can play other positions. They're probably going to play him some in the outfield. Uh, apparently, he can play second base. I will believe that when I see it. But if that's what they feel he can do, I'm sure he can play first base as well. So he's a guy that I'm somewhat interested in, but I just don't know how much he's going to play. That's the biggest thing. Obviously, the DH being in the NL is a bonus for him. Uh, it could allow them to kind of be flexible with some of their other guys and give him a chance to play. Uh, the biggest thing about Varsho is that he's catcher eligible and he steals some bases. I am very curious to see how much the stolen base numbers translate over to the major leagues. He he had really good numbers in the minors. He stole 21 bases at double A last year with 18 home runs. So he's a guy that I think can, can have a really big value if he's playing a lot because you could plug him into your catcher spot and expect a handful of steals. And that's just there just aren't a lot of other guys where you can really do that. I also think Farsho is interesting because he could still have relevance if he loses his catcher eligibility. I think a lot about Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who we talked about on the last episode, whose primary value right now is that he's catcher eligible. But I think that if Kiner-Falefa hits as well as he did in summer camp and like he, he had some injury issues, so he hasn't played as much up at the, with the Rangers, but he's their everyday third baseman. If he hits well, and he loses his catcher eligibility for next year, I think he's still rosterable. And I think that that could happen with Varsho as well. But I just don't know how much the Diamondbacks are going to play him. He played in his first game. He did not start, but he came in. He drew a walk against Pedro Baez. So he showed the plate discipline, which has always been a strong suit of his. He sort of stole a base. It went down as runner indifference, but he attempted a steal, which I think that that is relevant, that in his first game, in his first at bat, he got on base and tried to steal. That, to me, is an encouraging sign that the Diamondbacks are letting him run, that he successfully did it, again, runner indifference, so uh, you know it doesn't count in the scorebook for you, unfortunately. But if he's going to play regularly, I love him in 12-teamers. He's somebody that he can be that last guy on your bench, you know, if you missed out on Kiner Falefa. But if he's only going to come in, if he's only going to start a handful of times a week or less, you know, you got to just leave him on the waivers for now. But uh, in Dynasty Leagues, obviously, he's – likely been rostered already he's a top 50 prospect by a lot of sites i think he was just inside the top 70 on our site and is a guy that i'm excited to kind of see how the diamondbacks utilize him 
but as long as he's got that catcher eligibility, you're going to want him on your team. Yeah. All right. All right. That's good. I, I really like that. I think you nailed it there. And, and like I said, that, that multi uh, eligibility piece is going to be important. I think moving ahead, especially if, even if he serves as like a catcher, but plays outfield, if you have that Evan Gaddis type catcher outfield eligibility, that's mm-hmm. always interesting to have, right? You, you want that. And, and he, his, his bat does play in multiple positions. I feel mm-hmm. like um, moving ahead. So um, go ahead. One more. One more. All right. We're doing snake graph. Um, I'll take Joey Bart since I'm sticking with catchers. Apparently Joey Bart, a beat reporter for the Giants reported that Joey Bart was taking some grounders at first base that the diamond, or excuse me, the Giants were about to play a bunch of left-handers and basically said, do the math. Joey Bart's coming up. And like everybody went crazy and was, should I, should I drop so-and-so for Bart? Should I drop so-and-so for Bart? And then the next day, another beat writer was like, no, this isn't happening. And like poured a lot of cold water on it. Basically said, yeah, it might be a while till Joey Bart's up. So, like, uh, again, as the guy who writes the stash articles, I don't really know what to do with Joey Bart. My inkling coming into the season, even after Buster Posey opted out, was that it seems unlikely that the Giants are going to give Bart much run this year, if at all. There are a lot of people who disagree with me, who think he's coming up right away, who think he's like should be stashed and rostered over current catchers in the major leagues i'm not that bullish on him right now uh, as a dynasty asset i am he's fantastic he's a very good hitter i think he could hit capably in the major leagues right now i do believe that and i think that if he does come up that in 12 team leagues if you uh, certainly two catcher leagues uh, if you decide to play in that format for some reason you definitely want him you probably are stashing him if he's available now but in regular leagues 12 plus team leagues you're probably picking him up if he gets called up but i'm not sure i'm ready to stash him because i think there's a realistic chance he doesn't come up till september or even at all if the giants are just way out of it and they're bad catching combination that they have is still healthy and doing it they might just wait until next year and call him up after service time at that point so i don't know bart's one that i i i i'm not i'm pretty risk averse especially in a short season i don't want to spend a week with joey bart on my bench in a year where i where there's only a few weeks of actual baseball being played but if you're willing to take the risk like and your catcher is somebody bad it's Carson Kelly or Danny Jansen or somebody who hasn't performed all that much then yeah maybe give it a shot and and see what happens but uh, I think that there's nobody seems to have a, a good indication of when the heck he's going to be on the San Francisco Giants yeah I mean it, I think that there was some buzz after there was that uh, DFA of whatever catcher that they had mm-hmm. um, that Bart might be coming up and, and there was an initial excitement I don't know what was that two days ago three days ago at this point yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but then uh, they called up a, a real live person uh, that's definitely not uh, not a fake MLB the show player uh, named Chadwick Trump uh, <laughs> so I think that uh, everybody needs to temper their expectations on Bart being up this year. But mm-hmm. I would suggest, I, I mean, when he does get called up and if he does get called up, he's an instant play. I think oh, that he, you have to play him. Even if as, as the Giants organization, you have to play him when he gets called up. Like you mm-hmm. cannot let him sit on the bench and learn the game from the bench. That's just not going to happen. So, right. yeah. But he is, he is uh, without a doubt a top – I think it's fair to say top three catcher, prospect catcher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what would you say, Adelaide Reichman, Joe, Joey Bart? 
Yes. Yeah, I would. And third is either Murphy or Varsho. I think you can kind of argue either of them. Uh, Murphy is certainly, Sean Murphy of the A's, certainly more safe, uh, but Varsho perhaps more fun. But there, yeah, there, is a, there is a segment of people yelling into the speaker right now saying Luis Campusano. Um, yes, there so are. Just, just, uh, just be aware of that as they come and find you later on. Um, I think I wrote the top 10 catchers for Dynasty, and I think I had Campusano fifth. So I have him in that in that range. Um, it depends, again, it depends on whether you think that somebody like Murphy, who's already in the major leagues and is fine, if you think that that's more uh, worth rostering than somebody like Campusano, who could easily be better, but also there's a lot more variability. Yeah. So, so one other player, and I'll say that I bit on him uh, thinking that he would be up this year, uh, but it seems like it's, uh, I don't know, it's a suspect at this point. Um, because the manager said, when need arises, he can be up here. And mm-hmm. yet, and yet uh, Mike Trout going out because he's had a baby does not present the need for Joe Adele to be up. So Joe Madden, you're on notice. You could be on what are you doing next week. Um, Joe Adele uh, has been, you know, there's a lot to be said of the struggle that he had at AAA uh, last year. Um, and the reasons why people were not necessarily super enthused about him being up on the major league roster this year, but uh, the Los Angeles angels of Anaheim, uh, San Francisco, whatever they are, however they call <laughs> their names are, are throwing out like Brian Goodwin. And uh, I don't know, I'm trying to even think about some of their other outfielders that are not necessarily good. I know Justin Upton can play, right? I get that. And I know Shohei Otani could play out there if they wanted him to, but yeah. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, um, and he's not there. He's he's at their uh, training facility, um, and yeah. So I don't know. I don't get it. But uh, Joe Adele's still a top five prospect for me. Um, it's top top five fantasy prospect for me. Probably a top three. Um, if if I were to be asked about that, especially now with a number of players graduating, um, but I, I'm very much still in on Joe Adele, uh, and I hope that he does not get the Kyle Tucker treatment because he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, if, I mean, Mike Trout going on paternity leave the day that you can call up prospects and still control them for another year, like that is a perfect mish of things for Joe Adele to come up, and it didn't happen. That's very telling to me. Like if they're not going to call up Joe Adele the first day that they can call him up when they have a need in their outfield, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe they're just going to wait a day so that they can hopefully like pretend that it wasn't for service time reasons that they called him up exactly on the day that they could. But it's it seems uh, it seems fishy, uh, which is not a Mike Trout pun, although it works as a Mike Trout pun. Um, <laughs> I I like Joe Adele a lot as well, but I am I'm not quite out on him for 2020. But I if you're stashing him. And it's a shallow league. You might need to go just go find somebody else. I know it sucks to give up on him, but I just can't, I can't envision stashing him right now in redraft leagues because I don't think that he's going to get off to a super hot start. He's kind of struggled at the first stop at every level that he's been at up to this point. And if he doesn't come up till next week and then he struggles for two weeks, now you're only going to get like three good weeks out of Joe Adele and it just may not be worth it. But I agree on everything else. Top three dynasty asset going forward, just maybe not this year. Yeah, I just I think I'm going to just keep rostering him to to spite myself because <laughs> I cannot accept in any reality that Michael Hermosillo, yes, uh, Brian Goodwin, and David Fletcher and Taylor Ward are are better 
um, both in the field and in the batter's box uh, than Joe Adele. So mm-hmm. I, I refuse to accept that as reality. All right, Andy, that is it for our rundown. We've talked about so many players, uh, and, and I want to just give you a minute uh, as the, is the dynasty editor, uh, editor-in-chief, uh, to tell us about what's coming up at Pitcher List. Yeah, we got some good stuff coming up uh, tomorrow. Well, I guess we're recording this on Friday evening. So Saturday during the morning on the West Coast afternoon for you East Coasters, there's going to be an article by Jamie Sayer about Rangers prospect Heriberto Hernandez. Uh, it's a really fun one. I already took a peek through it. It's really, uh, it's good. And it, it, it'll give you a good insight into him as a catcher slash first base slash maybe outfield prospect. <laughs> it's not exactly clear where he's going to play yet. Uh, like we said before, Trevor Huth is working on a breakdown on Royals pitcher Chris Bubik. So if you disagree with us, you can read that. I don't know if Trevor's going to necessarily be more positive, but you always get to see some video and maybe that'll help you make a determination on him. Uh, our very own Shelly Bergstrait has been doing MLB debut breakdowns. So every week she writes an article about every single player who made their major league debut. It was a nightmare of an article the first week because so many players made their debut. It will hopefully get easier from here on out, but that comes out on Wednesdays. So I know many of you are big fans of Shelly and her work, and this article is awesome. And then I'm working on a Cal Rally article, uh, the Mariners catcher prospect that will come out next Saturday as well. So got a lot of fun stuff in the pipeline. Um, Nick's continuing to do all of his gift breakdowns on pitch, like prominent starting pitchers. When Spencer Howard debuts, I know he'll do one there and so we'll hopefully have some more of those as more pitchers make their debuts as well all right andy uh people can find you on twitter at at andy or is it Patton sea andy Patton sea andy Patton sea you yep. find me at the Statcast era but don't bother me just leave me alone i'm a grouch <laughs> online just stay away from me um andy thank you so much we'll be back yep. next weekish um yes. and and hopefully baseball is still kicking yes hopefully thanks all right thank you